Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. In a war, victory isn't always assured by superior weaponry. It often depends upon intelligence, the science of learning all you can about your enemy. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah provides detailed intelligence on the enemy of every believer, Satan, his identity, his strategies, and his ultimate destiny. From Spiritual Warfare, here's David to introduce today's message, Identifying the Enemy. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are in the beginning stages of a brand new series called Spiritual Warfare. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, uh, we began the series by answering this question, are we really in a war? I think we've concluded that we are. And the next question is, who is the enemy? And the Bible tells us the enemy is an unseen foe. We'll learn more about that today and tomorrow here on Turning Point. And as we begin the series and as we begin this particular message, I want to tell you about a very special book that we're making available during this month. Uh, We love producing books that we know will help our listeners. We produce these books based upon things people ask us, what they want to know. And uh, this little answer book is really special because it's 211 pages of particular answers to particular questions about spiritual warfare. And the book even has an index in it in the back. So if you're looking for something, you can actually go to the back part of the book and see if your subject's in the book and it'll tell you what page it's on. So um, will you let us send this to you? Here's how you can make that happen. Sit down today and write a note and send a gift to Turning Point. Your gift is for the cost of production and airtime during the month of June. And it's very special because this is the last month of our fiscal year. Uh, We do our audit from July through June. So June ends the audit year, and we really need your help to finish strong. Been an interesting year, hasn't it, friends? And you've been so faithful. I know you will help us during the month of June so that we come out on top in ways we've never dreamed and ready to enter the battle in the month of July. When you send your gift, all you have to do is ask for the little book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's beautifully designed with the glossy cover, easy to read print, and you'll want to have this. I know that you'll take it with you. You'll probably read it in a couple of days. In in between things, you read this book, and uh, it will be a blessing to you. Well, let's get started now with identifying the enemy. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Let's study. In the years that were leading up to the Six-Day War of 1967, Aharon Yariv, the head of Israeli military intelligence, knew that he faced a monumental task, defending his nation against a group of armed forces that held advantages of two to one in manpower, two to one in tanks, three to one in aircraft, four to one in warships, and seven to one in artillery. 
On its southern border alone, Israel had roughly 70,000 troops against Egypt's 100,000. They had 700 tanks against 950 tanks. They had 200 aircraft against 430 aircraft. Know your enemy was not merely just a figure of speech. Israel wanted to know everything about the enemy down to the menu served in the surgeon's mess. <laughs> to accomplish this, Israeli intelligence officers set about locating and inspecting every enemy airbase often working as chefs or co-opting Egyptian soldiers. They provided a complete picture of the Egyptian Air Force, including the whereabouts of every aircraft and information on every pilot, the name, background, status, and schedule of every base commander, schedules and turnovers of Egyptian radar controllers, reveille and morning schedules for the pilots and the ground crews, the complete Egyptian battle codes and communications networks, and when senior air officials would be absent from their commands and unable to direct operations. The result, of course, you remember, a dramatic and decisive victory for the Israelis when the Israelis launched a surprise preemptive attack on the Egyptian Air Force in the early hours of June 5th. During the course of that morning, the Israelis struck 18 of Egypt's Air Force bases, cratering runways, blowing up aircraft, and destroying support facilities. The Egyptians lost over 300 of their 420 combat aircraft and 100 of their 350 qualified combat pilots. By June 10th, Israel had completely dominated their enemy and its final offensive. They seized the Gaza Strip, the Sinai Peninsula, the West Bank of the Jordan River, and the Golan Heights, and the war was over. Six days it took the Jews to do that. You know, it's always a good thing before you fight a war to know something about your enemy and who it is you're fighting against. In the spiritual realm, it could never be more true. Many Christians do not take our enemy seriously because they don't know enough about him to take him seriously. The devil's cleverest strategy, listen to me, is to make us believe that he does not exist. Of course, that is the reason why you see so many ridiculous pictures of him dressed up with horns and a red suit, sporting a tail and an evil grin. If he is a comic figure or a mythical villain, the worst he can do is give us an occasional nightmare. In April of 2009, the Barner Research Group conducted a survey to determine what Christians believed about Satan. Nearly 60% of Christians said they believed that Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil. At the same time, a majority of the Christians surveyed, 64%, believed that a person could be under the influence of spiritual forces such as demons and evil spirits. Satan's incognitos are very clever. He hides in the most unbelievable places. He hides in religion, one of his favorite hideouts. He hides behind intellectualism. He hides in poetry and art, oftentimes in music. He hides in psychology and human understanding. In fact, the Bible says that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. 
Mark it down, men and women. Satan is not the man below heaping coals onto an eternal furnace. Remember in the book of Job, when he was answering God as to where he had been, he said, where do you come from? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, Job 2.2. What a picture. Satan trucking all over the earth doing his thing. The great reformer Martin Luther, Satan to him was not an abstract idea. When we were in Europe and we went on this Reformation tour, we followed the trail of Luther in the Reformation. And one of the things that was really fun was to go to the Warburg Castle. We climbed up all the stairs, up and up and up we went. Well, there's a story about Luther that some people dispute, but actually I was in the room where this supposedly happened, that he was having a contest with Satan one night, and he got angry at Satan, and he took his inkwell and threw it at him, and there's a big spot on the wall. This is supposedly the spot where the inkwell hit and splattered all over the wall. Now, some of the curators of this place said, no, nah, that didn't happen. They put that up there later just for a good story. But I don't know if that really happened, but I do know that Luther believed in Satan, and he wrote about it a lot in his writings. He said, when I go to bed, the devil is always waiting for me. And when he begins to plague me, I give him this answer. I say, devil, I must sleep. That's God's command. Work by day, sleep by night. So go away. (laughs) You know, the devil to Luther was a real person. He wasn't just some abstract thought. Now, if you look down at your Bibles, look at verse 12, you will discover that there is a word in verse 12 that is listed five times. Five times this word appears. I'm going to read the verse, and you'll catch on real quickly. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I don't know what you get from the word against, but let me tell you what it means. It means we're in a battle, and there is someone we are against, and someone who is against us, And that seems rather strange to most people today, especially those who have adopted a rather passive attitude about the Christian life. Eugene Peterson makes sure we are aware of the serious nature of this battle. In the paraphrase of this verse, he paraphrases it like this. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. The conflict is this. It's Satan against the Christians. Paul's instruction to the Ephesians in the 10th verse is addressed to the brethren. Finally, he said, my brethren, be strong. Why? So you can get into this battle and fight against the enemy who is against you. Notice Men and women, this is not a fight for the apostles. This is not a fight for the pastors. This is not a fight for the deacons or the leaders. This is a fight for the brethren and the cistern, too. All of us together, the brothers and the sisters. The lines have been drawn. It is the Lord and the brethren against Satan and the demons. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul identifies our enemy as the devil in verse 11. And if you look down in verse 16, he gives him another name. He calls him the wicked one. 
Verse 11 says, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And verse 16 says, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We are fighting against the enemy of our souls, the devil and his strategies. And here are some things we need to know about him if we're going to have any chance to be victorious in this battle. Let's talk for just a moment about Satan's personality. If you read through the Bible and you underline the names for Satan, you might call them his nicknames that he has given in the Bible, you will discover a lot about him just by listening to his names. What I'd like to do is I'd just like to give you kind of a summary list of the names that are given to Satan in the Bible. Listen carefully. Your adversary, the accuser of the brethren, the angel of light, the deceiver, the destroyer, the evil one, the liar, the murderer, the prince, the serpent, and the tempter. Those are just representative of the names that are given to Satan in the Bible. From generation to generation, he continues his same attack. He is the arch enemy of God. Some people ask this question, so where did Satan come from? Strange as it may sound, he came from heaven. (laughs) Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 tell the story of Satan's fall from heaven. A whole message by itself, but let me just give you the essential facts. His original name was Lucifer, which means shining one, morning star, or son of the morning. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, we read these words, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Ezekiel describes Satan before his fall as a holy angel, both wise and beautiful. Listen to these words from Ezekiel 28. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were the anointed cherub who covers I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So what happened? How did Satan cease to be Lucifer, the son of the morning, and become Satan, the enemy of God and God's people? Once again, Isaiah the prophet tells us the story in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. When those words came out of Lucifer's mouth, he was cast out of heaven, cast down as a profane one from the mountain of God and brought down to the earth and brought down ultimately to hell. I believe that God gave to his angels the kind of free will that he gave to us. They worship before his throne even this day because they choose to do so. But Satan in his own heart determined that he would lift himself up in pride. And the first sin ever committed in the universe was the sin of pride. 
according to C.S. Lewis, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind, end of quote. Satan's personality. Where did he come from? How did he become Satan? Now let's talk for a moment about his position. The Bible gives us three names that describe Satan's position. These three names will help us get a handle on his role in the universe. First of all, he is a prince. Three times the Bible calls Satan the prince of this world. John 12, 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. John 14, 30, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. And John 16, 11, the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's also called, as many of you know, the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 2 says, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now listen, as the prince of the world, he's in charge of evil men. As the prince of the power of the air, he's in charge of evil spirits. He is the ruling spirit over the children of disobedience. He is the architect of evil in this world in which we live. He is a prince. The Bible also says he is a ruler. Not only is he a prince, he is also a ruler. The Bible says he is the power behind the world system. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The system of this world is characterized by greed and selfish ambition and lust for power. It is dominated by intrigue and hatred and lies and aggression and rivalry and brutality and Satan is the father of it all. Satan reigns over his own kingdom. Did you know Satan has his own kingdom? Matthew 12, 26 says, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom last? Satan rules over his angels. Matthew 25, 41, The everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan has a hierarchy. He has a team of angels who are with him. There are many theologians who believe that when Satan rebelled, one-third of the angels in heaven rebelled with him and came to this earth and now comprise his army of rebellion against God. Satan is not just some lone evil person somewhere in the world. Satan is the head of his own kingdom. He has hierarchies of principalities and powers and angels and demons, and he rules it all. He's the ruler of the evil in the world today. And then the Bible says, strange as it may be, that he is a god. He is not just a prince and a ruler. He is a god. Little letter G. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says it this way, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who is the God of this age, class? It is Satan. Satan is a religionist. He is the founder and president of his own religion. Did you know that? You know, there's a lot of Satanism around today. They're blatantly, openly, don't even care that anybody knows that they're there. But Satan has always had a religion. Listen to what the Bible says about Satan's religion. He has his own church. 
Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 9, says Satan's got his own church. (laughs) He has his own gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Satan's got his own ministers. 2 Corinthians 11, 15. He's got his own doctrine, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. He has his own communion table and his own cup. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, and 21. He's got his own church, his own gospel, his own ministers, his own doctrine, his own communion. He's got his own religion. Satan has always done his best work in religious circles. He is the God of this age. Satan's personality and his position. Now let's talk about his power. How powerful is Satan? The Bible says that men are held captive by the power of Satan until delivered from it by the power of the Savior. The world is held captive by Satan. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9, we read, The workings of Satan come with all power and signs and lying wonders. In Hebrews 2.14, we are told he has the power of death. In Revelation 12.3, we are told he has the power of of that awful red dragon of the future. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, we are told he is like a roaring, devouring lion. Satan is deceptive. He's seductive. He's destructive. And he's filled with hatred. He has his own armor. He has his own strongholds. He has his own strong men. While we must never underestimate Satan's power, we also cannot make the opposite error of believing that Satan is as powerful or equally powerful than Almighty God. Satan is not, never will be, all-knowing and all-powerful. Consider this from author Randy Alcorn, who wrote about Satan. He said, what is the opposite of light? It's darkness. What is the opposite of good? It's evil. All right, here's the next one. What is the opposite of God? And some people say, Satan? No, that's not correct. Michael, the righteous archangel, is Satan's opposite. Satan is finite. God is infinite. God has no equal. And how did Satan get here in the first place? He was a creature of God. Satan isn't the opposite of God. Let me tell you what. Let's just put it clearly. In this day of sports, he's not in the same league with God. He's not in the same conference with God. He's not in the same universe with God. He is God's creation. So don't think, okay, I've got God over here, and he's all-powerful for good, and I've got Satan over here, and he's all-powerful for evil. That's not really true. Satan is no match for God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is God who lives in you than Satan who lives in the world. So while it is true, we need to be respectful and we need to learn and we need not to be frivolous about the power of Satan. We need to be careful that we don't go to the other extreme and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Satan's after me, you know? Satan's power is power under control. The Bible tells us in the end of the age, God is going to loose him for a short time. What does that say? God's got Satan on a leash. One of these days, toward the end of the ages, he's going to take that leash off and let him loose. And then ultimately, at the end, he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit. He's going to be cast into hell with his angels forever and ever. But he's not all-powerful. Well, we'll have more about him tomorrow. Satan, the enemy. 
He is a formidable enemy, but he is nothing um, in comparison to Christ, our captain, the captain of our salvation. And I keep reminding people, I said it, I'll say it again, Satan is not God's enemy. God created Satan. So um, it's important to keep that in mind. Before we say our final goodbye today, I want to tell you about a little bookmark that we've created for this series. I love these little bookmarks because they become reminders to us of the content. And when we see the key words on the on the bookmark, it reminds us of what we've learned and how we've studied. It's a good memory piece. And uh, this is the warrior's prayer printed on the back of a bookmark. Well, here's a little bit of it. It says, Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today, I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth. May I stand firm in the truth of your word so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. That's just like about uh, a fourth of it. And then it goes on all the way through to the end of the of the bookmark. And so you can keep this and every day at the end of your devotional time, you can pray this prayer and it'll be right there for you. We'd love to send this to you and you don't have to do anything to get it except ask for it. That's right. Just say, please send me the warrior's prayer. And uh, we have thousands of these. We'll send them everywhere. We want you to have one. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us tomorrow as we conclude our discussion of identifying the enemy. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, Spiritual Warfare, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's filled with strategies for fighting the forces of evil, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Spiritual Warfare, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. In 2006, Dean Carnassus ran 50 marathons in all 50 states on 50 consecutive days and finished up with the New York City Marathon, which he ran in three hours flat. He enjoys the pain that comes from achieving new goals. 
What I found, he says, is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and I'm in pain and I'm struggling for high achievement. In that struggle, I think there's a magic. Well, the psalmist agrees. He wrote, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn God's statutes. If you're experiencing discomfort today, look for what you could never learn otherwise. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's comfort on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.